you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the book of Numbers? I know your bulletin says Exodus, but it's Numbers chapter 12. And tonight we're continuing in our journey with Moses as he is traveling from Egypt toward the Promised Land. You know, life is a journey, isn't it? Just like Moses was on a journey, we're on a journey. Just like he had challenges and struggles, we have challenges and struggles. Just like he had obstacles and opposition, we have obstacles and opposition. But the same God who carried Moses will carry us. That's why we always look back even as we're going forward, that we might learn from the past as we travel to the future. Tonight's message, the ugly sin of prejudice. Numbers chapter 12, we're going to be looking at the whole chapter, but let's read verses 1 and 2 as we begin. And Miriam and Aaron, Miriam and Aaron, spoke, criticized, murmured against Moses. Why? Because of an Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not also spoken by us? And as they were criticizing and murmuring against Moses, don't miss the end of verse 2. And the Lord heard it. I heard the story about Joe. Maybe you've heard this story. Seems like Joe ordered a brand new suit from a high dollar men's store. He needed that suit because he was going to go to a high-profile political event. And he needed to look his best. Well, he went, he picked up his new suit. And man, it was a good-looking suit. And as he was leaving the store, he was walking down the sidewalk, and a car came racing by and splashed water all over one of the legs of his new suit that he was wearing. I mean, his pant leg was soaking wet. Well, it was an expensive suit, dry clean only. But when that water hit that fabric, it immediately began to shrink or shrink the pant leg. Now Joe could see it. His pant leg is rising up. Well, he immediately goes back to the clothing store. Tells the owner of the clothing store, look what's happening. The clothing store manager said, listen, I can't do anything for you. We're just about ready to close in about another hour from now. And my seamstress has already left. The, Joe said, well, what am I supposed to do? The man said, well, I got an idea. Pull your pants leg down as far as it'll go. And tuck it under the heel of your foot that's in your shoe. I, maybe nobody will notice it. But it will be longer. So Joe did that. Took his shoe off. Pulled his pant down as long as it would go. Tucked it in the heel. Put the heel and the shoe back on. 
And he walks out of the store looking like Chester on Gunsmoke. Well, as he's leaving, lo and behold, another car comes racing by and splashes water on his coat sleeve. Same side. Now it's the coat sleeve. This expensive suit can only be dry cleaned and his coat sleeve soaking wet and the material begins to shrink. He immediately races back to the store, knocks on the door. The man's getting ready to close. He says, you got to do something. The manager said, I, I can't do anything. I didn't tell you. You're going to have to come back later. He said, I can't come back later. My event's tonight. The man said, well, I can only make a suggestion. That you pull the coat sleeve down as far as it'll go and cup it in the palm of your hand. And maybe nobody will notice what's happening. And so Joe does exactly that. He walks out of the store like this. And two ladies see And one little lady says, my, oh my, what's wrong with that man? He looks so pitiful. He looks so out of sorts. And her friend says, he sure does, but he's got a nice suit. Well, as we go to our text, Aaron, the high priest of Israel, Miriam, a ministry leader of women. They're kind of acting out of sorts. Aaron is the brother of Moses. Miriam is the sister of Moses. Moses is the leader of the Israelites. And Aaron and Miriam are murmuring against their brother, the leader, Moses. In fact, they are going to challenge him for who should be the spokesman from God to the people. They're going to rebel against him. Tonight I want us to think about what is transpiring in Numbers chapter 12. I want us to think about what is taking place why it took place, and what does it say to you and I tonight. Verse 1 and 2, if we, as we begin. What was behind Aaron and Miriam's rebellion? Why were they critical of their brother? Why were they murmuring against him? Why were they at the point they wanted to overthrow his leadership and assume that for themselves. Well, if you look at verses 1 and 2, the answer is plain and simple. Prejudice. Let's look at the verses. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. That word spoke really means criticized, highly criticized, often repeatedly highly criticized Moses. Why? Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. 
He had married a Cushite woman. And for that reason, verse 2, Miriam and Aaron said, Has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Does God only speak through our brother? Cannot God speak through us too? Are we not leaders as well as he? The Bible says in verse 2, as they're making these accusations and these criticisms, God was asleep. Is that what it says? God wasn't paying no attention. God didn't care. God heard. That word heard translates better, God listened. Intently listened to what was being said and what was trying to be done. Prejudice. Moses has married an Ethiopian woman. He has made a black lady his wife. Moses has dared to marry a woman of a different race, a woman of a different place, a woman of a different face than he. And that choice has angered his sister and his brother. They're bent out of shape about it because Moses has dared to marry outside his own race, place, and face. They want to overthrow him. They want to rebel against him For that specific reason. Prejudice, bias, bigotry has reared its ugly head among the people of God. You would expect it out there, would you not? Among the heathen. You would expect it among the non-religious But here is the people of God of that day. This is the church of God of that day. And the sin of prejudice, the sin of bias, the sin of bigotry is alive and well. Exhibited through Aaron and Miriam. I want us to think about prejudice for just a moment. I want us to think some things about it that I hope you'll understand. Prejudice is a terrible sin. It's a terrible sin. It's destructive and it's deadly because it splits people apart that God's trying to bring together. It pits people against one another in commotion and conflict where God wants there to be peace. It leads to slavery, and it leads to slaughter if it follows itself all the way to the end. Prejudice is destructive, and it's deadly. It's a terrible sin. World War II the greatest conflict in the history of our world 
a conflict that engaged most of the world community and most of the world's armies in some way, shape, or form. Do you know that World War II was largely a result of Nazi prejudice against other people groups? It wasn't the only reason, but it was a primary reason. You see, the Nazis believed in a superman race, a, a super race called Aryans. And the Aryan race, which was primarily Prussian or German, was superior to all other races. It was an elite race. It was a dominant race. It was created to rule and to reign all over all the inferior races otherwise. That's what the Nazis believed. They bought into the philosophies of Friedrich Nietzsche, who taught such things. All the other races of the world that were not Aryan were inferior. They were rodents. They were subhuman. They were misfits. The only purpose they had to live was to serve the Aryan race and then be slaughtered when they're no longer capable of doing that. That was a philosophy that was alive and well in Germany in the 1930s. And Adolf Hitler was one of the chief proponents of it. World War II was not just about conquest of land. It was about the elimination of lesser people. Are you listening to me? It's been well documented what the German Nazis did to the Jewish people. But they not only did it to the Jewish people, the truth be known, they did it to most people that they engaged in combat with. They brutalized the gypsies. They brutalized the Slavs. They brutalized the Russian people. Because they believed they were a master race. And everybody else was inferiors and they did not have a right to live. Unless the Aryans, the Nazis, said they could. From this prejudice, 50 million people would die in World War II. I'm telling you that prejudice carried out repeatedly to its final end is destructive and it's deadly at a personal level as well as a national level. Secondly, I want you to know something else about prejudice. Prejudice and pride are kissing cousins. They go together. They're the flip side of the same coin. Pride says, I'm better than you. That's the proposition. Prejudice says the reason for it is blank. Pride says I'm better than you. And prejudice is the reason I give for being better than you. 
You see, the reasons can be many, can't they? I'm better than you because my skin color is better than yours. I'm better than you because my financial status is greater than yours. I'm better than you because my intellectual capabilities are larger than yours. I'm better than you because my athletic prowess makes me superior to you. I'm better than you because my religion's better than yours. I'm better than you because my political party or my political views are better than yours. I'm better than you because my stature in life is better than yours. Pride says I'm better than you. And prejudice gives the reason why. And the reasons can be quite a lot. Pride and prejudice always go hand in hand. Listen to your pastor. When you see one, you'll usually see the other. Thirdly, I want you to know something else. Pride and prejudice come in many different guises, as I just said. Racial, financial, social, political, religious, intellectual, physical, sexual. You could go on and on and on. But whatever the guise, the premise is always the same. I'm better than you. Look up here. I'm better than you. That's what it's all about. And whether it's an individual saying it, whether it's a family saying it, whether it's a church saying it, whether it's a nation saying that, it always leads to destruction and death, eventually. Always. Do you know that Mark Twain would have become a Christian? His family was born-again believers. And he was interested in their faith because they did live their faith before him. But what bothered Mark Twain was that there was a group of people in his area that he lived in that owned slaves. And they not only owned those slaves, but they abused those slaves. They treated them as subhuman. They sang, How I Love Jesus on Sunday. And then Monday through Saturday, they cussed at their slaves. They beat their slaves. He never could put them two together. And Mark Twain said, if this is Christianity, I don't want nothing to do with it. And not even his family's faith and how they lived it out could change his mind. And he died without Jesus because of the prejudice that existed in his day. Towards slaves. Mahatma Gandhi was the political leader of India. India is about 99.5% Hindu. But there came a time in Gandhi's life when he saw that the problem in India was the caste system. A system that says... Some people are better than others. One percent of the Indians are superior. 
they're the top and everybody else is at the bottom. The 1% get everything, the 99% that are left, they fight for what's left. Gandhi saw that that kind of system hindered a nation from ever developing. He saw it was wrong. He became interested in Christianity. In fact, he was, went to a British church, the story goes, to try to find out what it means to be born again and give your life to Christ. And so he went to that British church. And when the ushers greeted him coming in, they saw that he was an Indian. And they said, you need to go sit with your own people in the back. The front seats are reserved for the white British worshipers. And Gandhi said, no thank you. And he never came back. He later would say, I thought Christianity did not have a caste system of some being better than others, but I was wrong. It's no better than what I've got now. So I'll just stay a Hindu. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine what could have happened if that man would have given his life to Christ? He could have led his nation out of the darkness of Hinduism to a new faith in Christ. But he didn't. But let's move on. What was Aaron and Miriam's problem? It was prejudice. Secondly, what was God's response to that prejudice? Because I know some of you might be thinking, well, it's not murder, it's not rape, it's not stealing, it's not lying, it's not cheating, it's not cursing. It's probably just one of those little sins, right, Pastor? Listen, there is no little sin. All sin put our Savior on the cross. What was God's response to the prejudice of Aaron, the high priest, and Miriam, the director of women's ministry? Look at verses 9 through 11. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous. She turned white as snow. And Aaron looked upon his sister. And behold, she was now a leper. And Aaron said to Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beg of you, Lay not this sin upon us, for we have done foolishly and where we have sinned against you and against God. Let's talk about what took place. Aaron criticized and murmured against his brother Moses. He said, I'm just as good as he is. I should be part of the leadership team, if not the leader. Miriam murmured, rebelled, 
plotted to overthrow her own brother. She said, I am a leader too. I can speak for God to the people just like he can. In fact, I could lead these people. Maybe God wants me to. And God heard that kind of stuff. Let me say something to you. Whenever you murmur against God's leadership, be careful. Because you'll be telling at least one other person, whomever you're telling, you'll be telling God. You pray for your leadership in the church. Let God deal with them. God has a way of doing it far better than you. You keep your hands clean and pray for them. If you don't like something your pastor's doing, you pray for your pastor. God will straighten me out. You can't. He can. And the same goes with any of the leadership here. Pray for us. Pray for us. God is now about to speak. He heard what was going on. He saw what was going on. So he calls Aaron, Miriam, and Moses to the platform of the congregation. He puts them up there on the just like here. You imagine, here's Miriam, here's Aaron, here's Moses. And God speaks. He doesn't stutter, he doesn't stammer, he doesn't hem, he doesn't haul, he doesn't slice, he doesn't dice his words. When God speaks, he speaks. When he have put and speaks, people listen. When God speaks, you better listen too. And all three are ordered to stand before the people. Verses 6 through 8, if you'll glance at those verses. God announces to the congregation and to those on the platform that Moses is his leader. Not Miriam, not Aaron, Moses is his man. And Moses is a very special man to God. God pats Moses on the back and hugs him around the neck. So the people can see God's hand is on Moses. In verse 8, God makes a remarkable statement to show you how special Moses is. He says, my prophets, I speak to them normally through visions and through dreams or through third party revelations. But when I speak to Moses, listen to this. When I speak to Moses, I speak to him face to face. Wow. Can you imagine that? When God speaks to Moses, they have a face to face discussion. It's not going through any third party channels. In verse 9, God says to Aaron and Miriam, I have heard what you have been saying. I'm observing what you have been doing. You've been talking in private. You've been acting in the shadows. But what's done in private becomes public, and what is done in the dark one day is coming to the light. And I'm aware of it. Verses 10 and 11, God does something about it. He strikes Miriam with leprosy. 
Leprosy is the cancer of that day. It's a hideous disease. It deforms, it decays before it puts to death. And Miriam instantly is struck by leprosy before the very people. Aaron is scared out of his socks if he had any own. And he falls on his knees on that platform before his brother Moses and says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I said those things, I did those things. I'm so sorry. Moses, forgive me. Oh God, forgive me. I played the fool. Now you might be asking, why didn't God strike Aaron with leprosy? Well, I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, the scriptures would seem to indicate she was the ringleader. Aaron was a very passive man, very Mr. Militos by nature. His sister was an alpha personality. And she was primarily the one instigating this. And she dragged her brother into it. Now he's just as guilty, don't get me wrong. But he was more secondary, she was more primary, and God took that into consideration. But the primary reason God didn't strike Aaron with leprosy was because he was the high priest. What did the high priest do? He was the mediator between God and man. If Aaron would have been struck down with leprosy, Israel would not have had a mediator. And God would not allow that. His people must have a conduit where he can minister to them and they can communicate back to him. God moved against the murmuring, against the criticisms, the rebellion that came out of prejudice, that came out of pride. I want to close this message tonight by bringing it to us. What happened was prejudice. Pretty plain and simple. What did God do about it? He brought judgment against those involved in it. Even though Miriam was the director of the women's ministry and Aaron was the high priest, God did not spare them. He put leprosy on Miriam and he put the fear of God in Aaron. What should our response be to prejudice? Because, by the way, it still exists. Like all sin, it's still here. I hope most of the time it's out there, but I'm smart enough to know it could be in here. What should our response be to prejudice? Well, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge that we're all guilty of it. Are you listening to me? Every single one of us are guilty of prejudice and bias and bigotry to some degree. All of us are. It's a sin that all of us have within us and oftentimes will come out of us. Remember, it's not just about color, is it? It's about other things that we walk around thinking we're better than other people about. 
So we must acknowledge that we're all guilty of it from time to time in some way, shape, or form. And we need to confess our prejudice. That God might forgive us and we need to try to do better. Aren't you glad 1 John 1, 9 is in the Bible? If we confess our sin, admit that we are what we are and did what we did, God is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin. And when God forgives, He forgets. God is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us of all iniquity. The thing that I love about our Lord is we can have a new beginning with Him every single day. He's a God of a second chance. You say, Pastor, how many second chances you've got? 19,211. How many will you have tomorrow? 19,212. We confess our sin. He will forgive. And we can start over again and hopefully learn something from what we said or did yesterday. Secondly, our response should be to practice kindness to people who are different than us. Are you listening? To practice kindness to people who are different than us. I didn't say we have to agree with people who are different than us. I didn't say we have to endorse them or support them or join them or socialize with them or even be a buddy-buddy with them. But I am saying to you, we need to be kind to them. We need to be kind to people who may not have our political affiliation. We need to be kind to people who may not have our religious beliefs. We need to be kind to people who may not have our sexual orientation. We need to be kind to people who may not have our color. We may need to be kind to people who may not have our economic status. You can't reach people when you're mean to people. But if you'll be polite and kind and a gentleman and a lady, God can use you. And God can use me to reach people that otherwise may never be reached. I'm so proud that this church has outreach ministry into groups of people that we would normally probably say you shouldn't associate with, or other churches would say, but we associate with them. We don't endorse them, we don't support them. But we're polite and kind to them. And because of that, we have an audience to love them and tell them the truth. And maybe one day some of them will be in heaven because of that. I don't know. But I know this, we need to practice kindness to people. Try a little kindness every now and then to people. Instead of bashing people and putting people down and acting like we are the ones who've got it all together, we just need to be kind to people. And then lastly, our response to prejudice should be not only to acknowledge that we have it and confess it and do better with it. Our response to prejudice should, not, should be that we are kind to people that we're ladies and gentlemen of Jesus, and we show love to them, and we're polite, and we're mannered, we're kind. Because we want to win them, we don't want to hurt them and run them off. And then lastly, we should never use the Bible to justify sin. 
people who practice prejudice, and prejudice if carried to an extreme becomes slavery and slaughter. Our black friends understand that, and so do our Jewish friends. They experienced it. Those who practice slavery and those who were part of the Holocaust on the giving end, not the receiving end. Do you know that part of their reasoning came from the Bible? By the way, that's why I always challenge you to read and study your Bible for yourself. And make sure that when you read and study your Bible, you're keeping things in context. You're not just lifting verses out to prove what you want to prove, which happens all the time in the pulpit and in the pews of many churches. Do you know Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 through 25, you can just jot that down, turn there later if you want to, was long used as an excuse for slavery against a certain race of people. It's the story of Noah when he got drunk, remember? And one of his three sons laughed at his nakedness, while the other two covered him up. Well, in Genesis 9, verses 20 through 25, Noah places a curse on Ham's son, Canaan. Ham was one of Noah's children. Noah placed the curse on Ham's son, whose name was Canaan. According to those that were supposed to be theologians, Ham was a black man, and so was his son Canaan. And because of that curse that Noah put on Canaan, Ham's son, and because Ham and Canaan were supposedly black, the curse was slavery. So therefore, whatever this particular race of people went through, God ordained it, and they deserved it. That's what was taught. And many churches across our country and around the world where slavery took place. Now there's a problem with that. First of all, Canaan was not a black man. He wasn't a black man. And the curse on Canaan was not because of his skin color, it was because of his sin. God doesn't care what color your skin is. He's more concerned about your heart. What color is your heart? Is it white or is it black? And the curse that was put on Canaan would be a curse against the Canaanites, whom the children of Israel engaged in the promised land. Do you remember that? The Canaanites were just about wiped out by the Israelites because they were idolater worshippers, devil worshippers, and they were practicers of sexual perversion. And God dealt with them just what the curse said God would do. But it wasn't because of their skin color, it was because of their sin. All I'm trying to get you to see 
is that much of what takes place in the way of prejudice has come because so-called Christian people pull the Scriptures out of context to justify what they want. We've got preachers today and Christians today who support alcoholic drinking by their Christian people. And they use Jesus' visit to the wedding at Canaan as their excuse. We've got people today who endorse homosexuality because they take 1 Samuel 18 where it says that David and Jonathan had a close-knit friendship and they use it to mean sexual. We've got people today who endorse socialism, which is a cousin to communism. And they use Acts chapter 2 where it says the disciples took the things that they had in common and shared it with everybody as their excuse. We got folks up in the hills that practice snake handling in their services. Your pastor's not one of them, by the way. And they use Acts chapter 28 as their excuse where the Apostle Paul picked up a serpent and was bit, but he didn't die. We got some folks today who endorse Catholicism because they take Matthew chapter 16 and twist it around to make it say what they want it to say. What I'm trying to get you to understand, folks, look at me as I'm through. You can justify anything you want from the Bible if you take the Bible out of context. Don't tamper with the Word of God. Or the the God of the Word will tamper with you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.